Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Hunter Belis on her inspiring children's biography of famous missionary, Amy Carmichael. She finally ended up in India, and that is where many of us uh, have connected with her story. Amy worked there with Indian women and children predominantly who were rescued from slavery in Hindu temples. Hunter Belis next. Through her blog, podcast, and writing, Hunter Belis directs the ministry known as Journey Women to come alongside women to encourage them to know, love, and serve God. She's also the author of children's books. Today, Kimberly Birchall talks with Hunter Belis about her new one about well-known missionary to India, Amy Carmichael, titled Amy Carmichael, the Brown-Eyed Girl Who Learned to Pray. Hunter, as we get started, please tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, how you got into blogging and podcasting and writing books. I am, first and foremost, the happy wife of my husband, Brooks, and we have four wonderful kiddos who I just have so much fun with throughout the day. And I really started, like you said, blogging way, way back when my husband was in the military and he went through a very intensive training called Ranger School. So I started a blog to keep my friends and family updated on his progress through that school. And then through that, was able to write for a few Christian publications. And then as I continued in my journey as a military spouse, I began to love podcasts, kind of at the inception of podcasts, you know, back in the day when you really only had like sermon audio on there. And there were a couple of uh, interview podcasts that talked about just, you know, lighthearted stuff. And I thought, what if we could marry the deeper kind of theological truths that I'm hearing in these sermons with a conversation and offer that to women. And so I began to do that in my very own closet per the encouragement of my husband who gifted me a Yeti mic for my birthday one year. And I hopped into the closet and started recording conversations with mentors and friends of mine about just everyday things and how the gospel kind of intersects with those things. And Journey Woman was born. So that's when I began recording podcasts and kind of publishing things on the internet more broadly and have been doing that for the last six years. And then that led itself to being able to write a couple of children's books. My most recent is on Amy Carmichael. So that's that's a little bit of the backstory. Okay. How did you choose Amy Carmichael to write about? You know, it is so funny. This goes even further back to when I was in college and I, the Lord had really given me a heart for the nations and I deeply desired to go to India, which is where, if you know who Amy Carmichael is, she was a missionary in Southern India and I wanted to go to India and be a missionary myself. And so through that process, I came across the life and ministry of Amy Carmichael and she has just been such a dear person, Kimberly, that I have uh, really looked to as a mentor in my life, even though she passed away many years ago. And it's just really neat to see how the Lord used various twists and turns in her ministry, even to bring her to India. There's a whole untold story of her ministry where she went to Japan and then she was in what's now modern day Sri Lanka prior to even uh, arriving at this ministry that we all know her for in Southern India. And as you can probably imagine, because I'm recording this podcast and I've just told you a little bit about my history as a military spouse, I did not end up in India. 
And yet I feel such a connection to Amy's story because the Lord continued to move me and use me uh, where he desired to in all of these different unexpected places like the military and like the Journey Women podcast. And it came full circle for me when uh, with Journey Women, we started to track our analytics because we wanted to monetize. I wanted to welcome more people onto the Journey Women team. And when I looked at the map of where Journey Women has been downloaded all across the globe, would you believe me if I told you? that India is one of the top countries where Journey Women is listening listened to today. And in fact, we've had many missionaries who have reached out to me from India telling me that they are using Journey Women in their missionary training resources and things like that. And it was such a full circle moment for me where I just said, Lord, I trust you uh, in the work that you've set before me, just like Amy did. So she and I have kind of a kindred heartedness that she doesn't know of, uh, but she's certainly been a blessing to me in the work that God set before me. How do you believe that children will be impacted? Because your book is a children's book. So how do you believe that children will be impacted by her story? Oh, yes. You know, I hope that children will just see that the same God that Amy prayed to, and she prayed so frequently, that's one of the most compelling things about her story is how the Lord set so many unexpected, difficult, challenging things before her. And and what did she do? Well, she prayed and she asked God for help. She had a book called the Ask and Receive book in which she would record all of her prayer requests and God's answers. And that's actually how she was initially called to ministry. She was reading through her Ask and Receive book and she sensed the Lord impressing upon her heart the words of Jesus when he said, go ye in the Great Commission, and she felt called to overseas missions. And then as she continued to follow his lead, there were so many difficult, challenging things that were set before her. I mean, can you even imagine having to travel all the way across the globe to do uh, ministry all by yourself as a single woman without having a cell phone? I, I just, I can't even fathom it. And yet the Lord continued to answer her prayer in miraculous ways. And so I hope that children will see that the same God that Amy prayed to and that she asked all of these requests is the same God that they can petition and that they can ask for the various requests that they have in their life and ministry. And there's so many other things, but that's just one of the ways that I hope they're encouraged to continue to look to the Lord in all things as a result of reading Amy's story. Do we know much about Amy's childhood? Yeah, we do. We know she was actually filled with mischief. We know she loved to paint. We know that she loved to ride ponies. And uh, eventually she was set uh, sent away to boarding school, which is where she became a believer. And she was meditating on the hymn, Jesus Loves Me, that we all know and love. And I have since read all of the stanzas of Jesus Love Me and found it to be such a heartwarming and compelling song. And as she was thinking about the words from that hymn that her mother often sang to her, she realized that she needed to experience the mercy of the great shepherd. And so she then no longer wanted to rely on her parents' faith as she'd done in the past and instead placed her faith and trust in Christ. And then she began uh, just a series of challenges after that, that the Lord brought her her home due to financial struggle and then her father passed away when she was a, a teenager. And so we do know a lot about her life. We know a lot about Amy's life. It's hard for me to even condense it down because there are so many stories that be, have been told about her. But yes, yeah, she came to know the Lord as a teenager. And I believe that would be the hope of every parent that their child would not just rely on their parents' faith anymore, but yeah. that it 
becomes their own, that they begin to seek and ask those questions and find God there for them. Absolutely. Certainly for my kids. Yes. Can you give us just some more of the specific highlights from Amy's life and ministry? Yeah, absolutely. So like I mentioned, she became a believer as a teen. And then when Amy returns home, she really started to engage in ministry even before she went overseas. And I think that's compelling for all of us who are not overseas doing ministry, that there is work to be done wherever we are. And so she began some work with women who worked in local mills. They were called shawlies, and they were young women, and they were very poor. And she began gathering the shawlies together to talk about spiritual things and to just encourage them in her local church. And so many of them started to meet with her that the church building was full. And beyond that, the people who attended the church actually kind of frowned upon her, welcoming kind of the poor people in society into their church which is really sad. So even from the beginning, we see Amy reaching out to those who others considered unlovable. And and I really um, have been so encouraged by that aspect of her story. And this is where the Ask and Receive book comes into play again. She just began to boldly ask God, would you give us a meeting place? And the Lord blessed them with a meeting hall. And she sent out invitations that said, come one, come all to the meeting hall. And uh, the Shalys had their very own meeting space. And then, um, like I mentioned, she, as she was thumbing through that Ask and Receive book in 1982, the words that Jesus spoke to his disciples in Matthew 28, 19, go ye, sounded in her head. And later that year, she made a formal commitment to spending her life sharing the good news of the gospel with others. May I just clarify that date for you? Was that 1982? 1882. So she was um, in ministry in the late 1800s and early 1900s. Thank you for that clarification. Um, and then she, she felt, you know, called to overseas missions and she left for Japan. And I don't think many people know this about her story, but she saw many, many people come to faith in Christ in Japan with a co-laborer that she had named Masaki San. And it was there that Amy began to be plagued by some type of physical ailment. We're not really exactly sure what it was, but it may have been something like neuralgia, like debilitating headaches. And so per a doctor's recommendation, she actually left for a rest. And then she, through a series of like bumps and turns and twists, all of these things, she finally ended up in India. And that is where many of us uh, have connected with her story. Amy worked there with Indian women and children predominantly who were rescued from slavery in Hindu temples. And it's just a fascinating story, Kimberly, how she ended up, I mean, really the first girl that she ever uh, rescued from temple slavery was named Prina. And it was kind of by accident. It was providential, as we know. And from then, the Lord just continued to bring more little girls to Amy. And she became a mother to many, many children, despite not having biological children of her own. They called her, I think it's pronounced Amai, a mother to many. So she eventually ended up establishing an entire village, really, for children, eventually boys as well, girls and boys who would study there they would receive medical care and they lived there and she had many of the many of them grew up to work there and that is where amy continued her ministry until her dying day she never returned home how do the people in india feel about her taking these children out of the temple servitude 
Oh, certainly there was a whole host of opposition in many different ways. And that was, again, where prayer became such an integral part of Amy's ministry. And that really plagued her. Um, some of the challenges that that came across the ministry that the Lord had set before her. So that was one very challenging aspect of Amy's life was just the opposition that she faced in ministry in India specifically. I think I recall that parents would try to keep it from happening, and certainly the elders of the villages would would try to keep that from happening as well. But she was unscathed, I think, by all of their fear tactics. She didn't seem to be too frightened by that. Absolutely. She was certainly a woman of resolve, and we saw that in her determination to help the people that the Lord brought to her. We also saw that in her determination to hold fast to the Word of God. And there were other challenges that she faced. You know, um, at one point, the missionary agency that she was with was partnering with another agency that was no longer holding fast to the inerrancy of Scripture. And so she departed from that agency and just other really challenging things that I can't even imagine facing, particularly in that day and age where you just have such limited access to people around the globe and such limited access to information. Amy was certainly resolved to follow the Lord at all costs. Mm. That leads me to ask you on a personal level, what's the most compelling part of her story to you? Oh, you know, I think her resolve to exercise love in all of her relationships at the foundation that she established and uh, with the children whom the Lord had brought to her to mother, that was something that was really challenging to me as a mother. You know, every Monday she would have the children recite 1 Corinthians 13. And my kids and I have since committed that to memory. And just thinking about what love is um, and how it compels us in our relationships um, and how the gospel really compels us to love as Christ loved us, that is something that I just cannot escape in the interactions that I have from day to day. When somebody bumps up against me in a way that is unloving, am I? how am I going to respond? And, uh, you know, if you've read Amy's endearing book called If, you know, she has all of these statements. And I wish I had one off the top of my head, but, you know, it's if this, that, or the other, then I know nothing of Calvary's love. And I really think that that was inspired by her commitment to knowing what love is and exercising it, specifically through 1 Corinthians 13, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And so I've thought about that a lot since having, you know, sat with Amy through her many written works uh, and and asked myself the hard question of, am I going to respond in love? And she was such an encouragement and an example for me in that. How does knowing her story move you to want to share the gospel more? I think just in thinking about how am I doing that in a sacrificial way, like looking at Amy's life and seeing the very many sacrifices that she made in, again, going overseas as a single woman and then mothering not just four children like I do, but hundreds. <laughs> <laughs> and doing that all for the sake of the gospel and making Christ known and embodying kind of incarnational ministry and being the very hands and feet of Jesus to these children, that has been such a challenge to me, especially when I feel a temptation just to 
be comfortable in uh, my ministry, quote unquote, uh, just to remember the many sacrifices that she made. And they really point to the sacrifice that Christ made and encourage me to, you know, live as he lived, not to be served, um, but to serve. So that that's probably the most compelling thing that she's done for me in my, you know, Matthew 28 ministry. I'm speaking with Hunter Bielis, wife, mother, podcaster, and author of Amy Carmichael, The Brown-Eyed Girl Who Learned to Pray. Hunter, what does Amy's life teach you about God's sovereignty? You know, just in thinking about how the Lord uh, placed that calling on her life when she was, you know, a young believer to go ye, to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit— and she walked in obedience to that call, not knowing where she was going to go. She literally did not know that she would end up in southern India. And that is what we all know and love her for. And so I can only imagine the confusion that she must have felt when she was first in Japan. And she began experiencing these debilitating headaches that literally paralyzed her from ministry, thinking, Lord, what are you doing? You have placed this calling on my life. Why am I, you know, not able to walk in it to the degree that I desire? And then you know, along the way, him leading her to India and not even really knowing that her primary ministry was going to be with women and children who were rescued from simple slavery. She did not know that. She did not set out to do that specifically. And so I think in the various challenges that I face in ministry where I think this is not what I set out to do, (laughs) this is not even what I felt called to necessarily, Um, But trusting that the Lord in his sovereign care for me and for his people is going to use me exactly where he's placed me and that he's placed me there with purpose. So Mm -hmm. Amy's story is such an encouragement to me in that. Mm -hmm. How can we encourage the children in our lives to trust in God's sovereignty? You know, there's this really endearing story that many people probably have heard about Amy praying with angst as a young child that God would change her brown eyes to be blue. (laughs) And she woke up and looked in the mirror and her prayer was not answered. And of course, she was crushed. But many years later, uh, the story continues that Amy, as she was peering into the brown eyes of Indian women and sharing the good news of the gospel with them, came to this realization that God had answered her prayer exactly as he ought. And I think that's such a wonderful thing for us to encourage kiddos. Sometimes we don't understand God's sovereign provision in our lives, but it always has purpose, even if we don't understand it in the moment. And I hope that that little story will help encourage kiddos to trust the Lord with whatever he has set before them, um, knowing that his provision is always perfect. Why is it important for us to know and share the stories of Christians that have gone before us? Oh, it's so good. I mean, it's almost like an extension of like the hall of faith that we see in Hebrews. You know, it's like we get to testify to God's grace in the life of people in the past. And I think that bolsters our faith in 
the character of God and knowing how he will continue to be faithful to us in the present. So I love telling the stories of how God was faithful in times past, uh, because again, God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so for us to be able to tell about who he was, you know, and to testify to that in the truth of the scriptures throughout redemptive history, and then to kind of fill in the gaps in church history for our kids, and then to begin identifying, well, look how he's been faithful to me. And look how he's been faithful to you. It just helps them to know and love God more and to cling to his character, regardless of whatever hard times they might be facing. Do you have a favorite book by Amy Carmichael? And what have you learned from that book and her writings? It's so hard to narrow down a favorite book by Amy Carmichael. She has so many wonderful books. And I do want to point out that another kind of turn that her ministry took was when she fell into a hole in what was being built as a medical dispensary. And she was really physically debilitated for the rest of her life. So she was bedridden. And for decades, she laid in her bed in India, probably wondering, why God, why I have all of these children to care for, all of this work to be done, and yet here I am in my bed. But guess where she penned many of the books that we love to read? It was while she was bedridden in India. And so this, again, is just an encouragement to me. And I love reading her writing from that season of her life. She often talked about in her writings how a lot of the things that were written for people who were sick were written by people who were well. And so it's very compelling to read some of her poetry. She has a book called Mountain Breezes. She also has a book called A Rose from Briar. And if you are in a particularly hard season, I know it will minister to you reading from someone who, again, was bedridden also going through a very difficult season, clinging to the truths about who God is. Um, And I love, I always love poetry. So those are some of my favorites. Your book is a part of a series of books. So tell me a little bit about that series, would you, and some of the other women who are featured? Absolutely. So it's part of a series called the Do Great Things for God series published by the Good Book Company. Um, And this is really a series that was the, the brainchild is a wonderful friend of mine. Her name is Laura Caputo Wickham. She is in the UK, but she's originally from Rome. And she wanted to write compelling stories for her daughter that would encourage them not to try and, you know, be so great in and of themselves, but to look to their great God uh, and to trust him and his faithfulness and his sovereign care for their lives. And so she began to pin the stories of faithful Christians, specifically women, like. She has Gladys Alward. She has Fanny Crosby, Betsy um, Stockton, Coryton Boom. Uh, you know, the most recent one that's coming out with me is written by K.A. Ellis. It's on Mariah Fearing. And these are just wonderful stories. I have to tell you, my six-year-old, her name is Davy Catherine. And she asks for a new book from the Do Great Things for God series uh, for every birthday. She said, Mom, this birthday, can we just complete the series? And so I'm doing my best to collect them all for Davy. And I'm happy to have been able to contribute Amy's story to the lineup. That was Hunter Belis, author of the children's book, Amy Carmichael, The Brown-Eyed Girl Who Learned to Pray. Go to Hunter Belis, that's B-E-L-E-S-S dot com. 
Right now, an update on a legal case regarding a threat to religious freedom. It involves the Yakima Union Gospel Mission in Washington State. They've asked the U.S. Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals to protect their freedom to hire like-minded people of faith. I'm speaking with Jake Reed, legal counsel for the Center for Christian Ministries with Alliance Defending Freedom. Jake, can you give us a quick overview of this case and why ADF got involved? A couple years ago, the Seattle Union Gospel Mission uh, was sued in Washington State Court. Uh, Long story short, that case made its way all the way up to the Washington Supreme Court, where the the court there effectively held that the Washington Law Against Discrimination applied to religious organizations. Now, the status of the law before that case was religious organizations were completely exempt from that law, and therefore they had no need to worry about whether they were quote unquote discriminating or not based on who they employ. Uh, Soon after that case was decided, the Seattle Union Gospel Mission case, uh, Washington state officials began investigating a Christian university uh, in Seattle because that university requires all of its employees to agree with and live out uh, the the university's Christian beliefs on, on biblical marriage and sexuality. Now, the Yakima Union Gospel Mission has that same, you know, set of beliefs. Of course, it believes in biblical principles, and that includes the biblical definition of marriage and sexuality and what it means to adhere to that and live a lifestyle consistent with that. And it requires all of its employees to uh, likewise hold those beliefs. Now, that's problematic because the Washington Law Against Discrimination essentially prohibits the mission from having those sort of faith-based religious uh, hiring practices. Uh, so we we worked with the Yakima Union Gospel Mission. Uh, we filed a lawsuit against state officials to uh, prohibit, we asked the court to prohibit state officials from coming after uh, and enforcing the Washington law against discrimination against the mission for simply hiring fellow believers who agree with and live out the same faith. So what is the status of the case right now? So the case was filed in federal district court in eastern Washington, and the the judge there actually dismissed the case against the mission, uh, the the mission's case, I should say, uh, in early September, basically by saying that the mission hadn't been injured and it didn't face any threat of future injury for doing what it what it does for hiring fellow uh, co-religionists. So we appealed that case to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals. Uh, and we just filed our opening brief, so our opening document with that court this past Wednesday. So, so what is the law then? Why do you feel the law is on favors your position? Absolutely. So, so the law is the First Amendment, right? And there's a couple provisions where we're looking at the the free exercise clause and and the establishment clause uh, and the right to expressive association, which is kind of captured within the First Amendment as well. As well. Now, what those you know. What the, what the First Amendment allows is it allows a religious nonprofit ministry to exercise its religion by requiring all employees to, to agree with and live out the same set of uh, faith, the same beliefs. Um, and that's what the mission does. That, that's how it exercises its religion. And not only is it a religious thing, but it, the mission's whole purpose and goal is to spread the gospel to everyone. That's its overarching mission. The only way the mission can accomplish that goal is by making sure its employees can effectively do that. So that's an expression. That's a free free speech principle. That's uh, and like I said, the the right to expressive association protects that right. 
uh, whether you're a religious organization or not, if, if, the, if the organization is an expressive association, an expressive business, an expressive organization, then the First Amendment allows, protects the right to hire uh, proper agents to advance that message. And so those, those are the argument, arguments we are making. Um, we feel strongly the First Amendment protects the mission here, and we hope the Ninth Circuit will agree. So what is the legal process with the Ninth Circuit? What happens next? There's more briefing to be done. The state has an opportunity to file a brief. and We will file a second brief. Uh, and then the court will set a, a, a hearing, an oral argument date, sometime next year. Not sure exactly when that will be. Uh, so, you know, I don't, I can say for certain we won't have a decision by the end of the year. Uh, I would hope by the end of next year we have some decision, mm. um, but it's, it's, it's hard to tell with these things. How can we pray for you? How can we pray for ADF in this particular case? Pray for the court, for the judges who will hear this case. There will be three of them uh, to, to have the courage, because I think what we see a lot of times in other cases is that judges understand the principles uh, we're advancing and the constitutional arguments we're making, but sometimes they don't have the courage to, to write a decision. Um, that would, you know, protect the mission or other ministries. So I'll just ask that you pray for, for courage on the part of the judges uh, and, and just for, for peace and continued wisdom on our part as we, as we seek to protect uh, the Yakima Union Gospel Mission. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to today's guests, Attorney Jake Reed with Alliance Defending Freedom. Go to adflegal.org and author Hunter Belis. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Derek Cooper contrasting Christianity with some new religious movements. As our culture has really changed and there are now people from lots of different religious traditions or none at all and thinking about ultimately as our calling as Christians to always be sharing our faith and to be talking to people and this necessitates therefore that we have to learn more about the traditions of the people so that we can have more effective conversations. That's tomorrow at this same time right here on His People. Thanks for listening.